grateful for just the time that we have together as a community. Um, God, we're grateful for just being able to gather together and um, just study, open up your word. And God, we just ask that you would just speak to us, God, in a mighty way tonight. May the words that we read just resonate and capture our heart and our affections for you, God. And may we leave here tonight, God, with uh, encouragement and a, and a challenge and conviction, God, to live differently. God, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you're uh, from Refuel, Kendra's no stranger here to Living Stones, and so glad that she's able to come and join us um, tonight. So give Kendra a hand. Yes. Thanks, guys. Hi. Okay, so for starters, I noticed that um, you guys at Living Stones have uh, like some trends going on. So like, kick your feet up in the air if you're wearing white sneakers. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what about Crocs? Just you two? Okay, cool. And then what about these checkered vans I see? <laughs> I saw three of those. Okay. The, the checkered vans and the white sneakers. Yeah. Why am I talking about shoes? <laughs> well, because I just noticed you guys have like this trend of, you know, you all have the same kind of shoes. I mean, it, it had nothing to do with what we're talking about today. <laughs> so, okay, so first off, hello, I'm so glad to be back. I've missed you guys. <laughs> I miss you too, Kendra. Oh, thanks, thanks, thanks. Okay, so we're going to be in um, the book of John, John 8 and 9. Um, and I saw you guys have these cool things back here, 21 days in the Gospel of John. These are cool. So this is the thing. We are covering two chapters of John tonight. Not really. We're doing like an overview of the two. But there is so much that we are not going to cover, and John is good, and it is rich. And I'm going to give you a little bit of more information about John, but if you guys aren't doing anything right now in your time with the Lord, you should pick one of these up from that table back there, and um, you should do this. It'll take you three weeks to get through John, and you're going to learn so much. Here's some cool things about John. So it's written by John, who is one of the disciples. This was the last gospel written. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this was the last one written. John wrote it towards the end of his life, so this was his life work. It's also written a little bit differently than the other Gospels. There's stories that are in the book of John that you're not going to find in any of the other Gospels. And then there's stories that are in all three of the other Gospels that John doesn't talk about. He doesn't talk about Jesus' birth or how he was born. Um, there's a lot of stuff that John covers and doesn't cover that the other Gospels do and don't cover. But we are going to be hanging out in John 8 and 9. There is a lot in John 8 and 9, and there is no way that we are going to be able to talk about it all. Um, but I'm kind of, I'm going to try and tie up some, some of these loose ends here. Not even loose ends, just tie some things together for you. So you can kind of get a better idea uh, about John. So go to John 8. We're starting there. We're not going to read it quite yet. We will in a second. 
All right, so one of my favorite parts about scripture, I talked about this at Refuel, so if you're there, you'll remember. One of my favorite parts about scripture is when the Old Testament collides with the New. And when you can see how everything in the Old Testament is actually pointing towards everything that's going to happen in the New Testament. And there are times, I don't know if you guys have read the Old Testament, and there are times that you start to think that the Old Testament, like the God that we read about in the Old Testament is different than the God that we read about in the New Testament. Am I the only one that sometimes feels that way? Are you guys ever like, like sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we focus on things like um, God flooding the entire earth, obliterating entire cities, annihilating entire nations. Huh? Angry Angry God, yeah. We think of angry, we think of wrathful God. We don't always think of loving, loving God. The same God that we see in John. So, we don't, we, we kind of ignore God giving these mamas in the Old Testament that are crying and crying and praying for babies. We ignore that he gives these crying mamas babies. We ignore when God saves his people from slaveries and warns them of famines coming and provides food. We just think of angry God. And so the cool thing is, is when we look at the New Testament and we look at the Old, we get to see how he was actually the same God. <laughs> it's not multiple gods. He's the same. His character is the same. And he was loving all throughout. So it's kind of cool we get to see it all collide. Um, so I want you guys to turn to your neighbors, neighbors for a second and chat about um, if there is a story that you think about from the Old Testament um, that you're like, oh, yes, this story makes me think of angry God. Like a story where you're like, oh, yeah, this, this makes me think of angry God. Just tell your neighbor for a second. Like, take 10 seconds. Okay, so throw it up at me. What are some things you guys just said? I heard Adam and Eve. That was cool. What did you say? You said Adam and Eve? Oh, Noah. Yeah, when God flooded. What else? What else did you guys say? What did you guys say? Adam and Eve? What did you guys say? Wow, okay. What did you guys say back there? What? Noah's Ark? Okay. Job? Job. Oh, yeah. Job. Those are good. And the cool thing is, is we can look at all of those stories and we can see how all of them are pointing to the New Testament. They're all pointing to the gospel and they're all pointing to Jesus. All right, so John 8 and 9. We're going to pray and then we're going to dig in. God, thank you so much that I get to be back. Uh, well, not really back, but I get to be here at Living Stones and I get to be back with these kids. And um, Lord, thank you so much for what you are going to reveal to us tonight about you and truth and um, in your word. We welcome you here. Would you move and speak how you need to move and speak? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are going to basically be breaking up these two chapters of John into three sections. So if you're taking notes, in your notes you can just write like section one, and then I'll tell you what you can call it. So section one is, I am the light of the world. Oh, surprise, that's the title right above verse 12 in chapter 8. So we're going to read part of that together. Um, Follow along. Chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them 
the people that were listening, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. But you do not know, uh, oh yeah, where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. All right, so basically what is going on right here, if we flip backwards, go back to chapter 7 really fast, and what is the heading for chapter 7 that you guys read? You can shout it out. Jesus at the Feast of Booths? Is that what you guys are getting? At the Feast of Booths. That is a weird kind of feast, let me tell you. <laughs> so, do you remember how at Refuel, I was like joking about how everything has like three names and like we call like communion, the Lord's Supper, and like, every, like there's so many things in the Bible that has three names, like Hebrews, Jews, Israelites. Okay, so this feast here has three names. <laughs> it's the Feast of Booths. It's also called the Feast of the Tabernacle. And then it's also called... I'm going to say it wrong. Sukkot. Sukkot. It's, it's Hebrew. I don't know. I don't really know how to say it. But it's, it has these three names. But it was given to the Jews after, after they were released from slavery in Egypt. And they were wandering in the desert. And the Lord provided for them. He gave them tents and stuff. He said, oh, I want you guys every single year for a week straight to basically have a week-long Thanksgiving. Where every single day you celebrate what I've given to you and what I've done for you by setting up these booths like fake tent or these tents like temporary living places for a week you live in them and you celebrate everything that I've done for you and so they did this up until the tabernacle that they built was destroyed and then when it was reconstructed later this is all in the old testament lost there but when it was reconstructed then they started celebrating the feast of the booths again and so Jesus has been celebrating this every year for his entire life. He's in his 30s. That's about 30 years. And we know that Jesus' family, they were Jewish, and they were really good about celebrating um, all of the Jewish traditions that they celebrated. So everything that we're going to read in chapter 8 is taking place during the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of the Tabernacles, or Sukkot. However you say that word. <laughs> I probably should know that. Anyways, so everything that we're going to be reading is from right there. And then if you flip back to 8, the very first story is the woman caught in adultery. And if you remember that story, that's where a woman was caught in adultery. And they tried to stone her, and Jesus said, you who's out sin can cast the first stone. And they, all the Pharisees dropped their stones and walked away. That kind of interrupted Jesus talking. So that story took place, and then we go back to, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, and he's picking back up, still speaking in the temple, um, about um, this really cool thing. Are you ready for this? So the Feast of the Tabernacles had three different rituals. They had three things that they did every single day as part of this ceremonious celebration. The first thing that they did was a ceremonial drawing from this well, or there, there was this like well of water that they would draw water from. And they'd make it this big ceremony, and then they would take it uh, into the inner courts, and they would do something with it with wine and all kinds of things. I don't really understand. But they did it every single morning. 
during this celebration. The next thing they did was they would light these giant candelabras. Do you know what candelabras are? Okay, they're like, they're like, imagine this, but like massive, and then tons of lights on it. So they would light these giant candelabras, but with like actual fire, and they would be so massive and so bright that they would light up the entire city of Jerusalem. So that was part of the celebration as well. And then the third thing was they would set up these booths that they would stay in for the week. So flip back over to 7 really, really fast. And we read 737, rivers of living water. And Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So all of a sudden, Jesus is taking something that they do every single day during the celebration, which is drawing up water. And he's saying, but if you thirst, come drink from me. So then he does the same thing back to chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. So they do this thing with this giant lights that light up all of Jerusalem. And Jesus says, actually, I am the light of the world. So get this. When they would light these candelabras, they would be lit all night long. And then they would stay awake all night and celebrate and dance and do all of these things for these giant candles. But they would light all of Jerusalem. So you could walk through the streets and you could see where you were going at nighttime. And Jesus is saying, actually, I am the light. You don't have to walk in the dark because I am the light. So we take something that is this tradition and that is this ritual that they've done for part of the celebration. And he kind of turns it on its side and says, actually, I'm the living water. And actually, I am the light. I am the light of the world. So it's pretty, like, one of those times for me where I feel like, look, we get this true glimpse of the Old Testament and something that in Leviticus God told them to do, meeting with something we're doing in John here, and we see the Old Testament colliding with the new, Jesus celebrating an old tradition, and it's colliding with the new tradition, and we get to see Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, and in chapter 7, I am the living water. So this is the thing, guys. In the Old Testament, everything, everything is pointing to Jesus. Everything is pointing to the gospel. Have you guys ever read the Jesus Storybook Bible? Have you guys seen that? It's this cool kids Bible. And, and as you read through Bible stories that we learned as kids, so we read through Noah's Ark, and we read through Adam and Eve and Jonah and Joseph and his amazing technicolor coat. We read all of these things, and at the end of every single story, it actually ties in the gospel, and it talks about how this is actually pointing towards what is to come and towards Jesus. And so Jesus is doing the same thing. He's going back to Scripture, which everybody that's celebrating this would know, and they would have studied because they were good Jews. He's going back to Scripture, and he's saying, actually, all of these things are pointing to me, and they're all pointing to the gospel, and they're all pointing to this new covenant that is coming to the New Testament. Everything in the Old, Old Testament is pointing to the New Testament. And then also, in the book of John, he says, I am. Seven times. Jesus says, I am, in the book of John, and John talks about it. Seven times, Jesus says, I am something. I am something. And this is the second time in the book of John where Jesus is saying, I am something. And he says, I am the light of of the world. So we're still in this section one here, guys. It's long. So this is what happens. 
after Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, the Pharisees ask him to prove himself. And he says, he says that he can't. They just need to know. There's a um, commentator, so that's just somebody who writes about what the, like explains what the Bible's saying. And he says, but a seeing man doesn't need someone to prove there is light. So they're telling Jesus, prove yourself. Prove that you're the light of the world. But a seeing man doesn't need somebody to prove there's light. Light establishes its claim. And it does so not by arguments, but by just shining. Light must always be accepted for itself. And that, notwithstanding the objections of the blind. If you can see, then you can see that there's light. But if you are blind, you can't see that there's light. <laughs> so somebody could tell you, oh, there's, it's light all you want, but you're not going to see it, so you're not going to know. And Jesus is saying, you Pharisees are blind, and so I'm right here in front of you. I am the light, and you just can't see me. The Pharisees were so caught up in what they wanted Jesus to be. They wanted him to prove himself. They wanted him to, they, they wanted a political savior, somebody who was going to come up and set up a kingdom so the Jews could reign. That's what they wanted, and they were so busy focusing on what they wanted that they missed the Jesus, the I am, the light that was shining right in front of them. They just completely missed it. How many times do we just miss Jesus like the Pharisees? He's doing something right before our eyes. He's speaking to us. He's talking to us. He has something for us, and we just completely miss him because we are so focused on what we want him to be or what we want him to do for us. I miss him a lot. Okay, section number two. Are you ready? This is also the heading of something else, and it is before Abraham, over in verse 48. So chapter 8, 48, verse 48. Before Abraham was, I am. So we're back at that I am statement. That's the section heading. Before Abraham was, I am. So I'm going to read just a snippet out of verse 31 to 41. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, then you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So the Pharisees just keep going back to this old covenant. The Pharisees are scholars, religious scholars, Jewish scholars, and they keep going back to what they know and the, everything that they've studied, and that's the Old Testament. And so they keep going back to, well, we're fathers of Abraham, and, and this is what they said was coming. 
And Jesus, again, is like, you're missing it. I'm right here. I'm right in front of you. And you're missing it. So if you guys remember from the retreat, God entered into this covenant with Abraham. He was super old. He was 75. He had no children with his wife, Sarah. And so when he was 75, God promised him he'd have many, many descendants. And all of these Jews, the Pharisees, Jesus, anytime we talk about Jews, they are all descendants of Abraham. And they are children from that covenant that God entered into with Abraham. Jesus was actually in the direct line of Abraham. And all throughout the Old Testament, Jesus' coming was being foretold. And like I said a second ago, they wanted they wanted a savior, they wanted a redeemer, but they wanted him to come and set up his kingdom and set up his dominion, and they wanted a political savior. They wanted a king, they wanted a president, they did not want a Jesus. And they missed how Jesus was going to set up his kingdom on earth. And they are literally arguing with the very person that they are wanting to come because they just can't get their minds around the fact that that could actually be Jesus. But we don't get to tell God how he should act and how she, he should be, and we don't get to put him in that kind of a box. But that's exactly what they're trying to do. So then we're, talking about, we're back to talking about Abraham here, and Jesus is reminding them, not just that they were slaves when they were slaves in Egypt, like we talked about at Refuel, but that if they are in sin, they still are slaves. So he's telling these Pharisees that they are still slaves because they are in sin. So not only is he saying that they're blind, but he's saying that they're slaves. So he kind of clap backs with, if you were Abraham's children, then you'd be doing what Abraham did. And instead, you're just trying to kill me. Abraham had a relationship with God. And they don't. They're completely missing that. So, again, Jesus is taking what they know. He's taking their knowledge from the Old Testament, everything that they've studied, and he's pointing it to himself. And he's saying, see, Abraham... Even Abraham knows me. Even, even Abraham knew who I was. And then he says, before Abraham was, I am. We're back at that I am statement. So that I am statement that John is weaving all throughout his book, it points all the way back to the Old Testament. So the very first time that God said, I am anything, was in Genesis 15 when God is talking to Abraham. And he says, I am your shield. And God says of himself over 300 times in the Bible, he says, I am. I am something, or just I am who I am. He says that over 300 times. And Jesus knew that these Pharisees would know that, that they would know that God had said, I am, so many times. Read real fast in uh, verse 54. If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, about whom you say, he is our God. He is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. 
The Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So there's Jesus dropping that I am statement that they know so well, and it's sprinkled all throughout scripture, and that is part of the covenant with Abraham. It's what God said to Moses when he was speaking to him in the burning bush. He said, I am that I am. And I am means that God is. It means he is back in the Old Testament. He is in the New Testament. He is today. He is never changing. He is constant. He is the I am. And that Old Testament is pointing to Jesus and the new covenant that is coming. So, once again, in that first section, we see Jesus taking what they know from the Old Testament and pointing it back to him and saying, this is actually about me. This is actually about me. And then in the second section, before Abraham was, I I am. He's taking that, what they know about Abraham and about God saying, I am, and he's pointing it right back to himself. And he's saying, that's about me. I am. That's who I am. And then the third section, the third section here is Jesus heals a man born blind. So that is entering into the ninth chapter, and that story is pretty much the entire ninth chapter. So there's just a few things to note here. Jesus sees a man who was born blind. I'm summarizing part of this, and then we'll just read a little section. But Jesus sees a man who was born blind, and he reminds his disciples of what he'd already said. So he says again, I am the light of the world. And then he makes this this mud, (laughs) and he puts it on the man's eyes. So how he makes this mud is he spits in the dirt, and then he puts it on this man's eyes. And I've always kind of wondered about this because that sounds disgusting, and um, I would not really want somebody putting um, spit mud on my eyeballs. Uh, But I was doing some homework on it, and apparently back in the Bible days, if you were somebody uh, who was highly esteemed, then um, they believed that your spit had like supernatural powers, like they were healing, they, you had healing spit. Uh, so it wasn't that unusual for people to use their spit to do things. But it's also kind of cool because it's kind of like this picture of God formed man from dust. And here he is healing with dust as well. And then one more thing, Jesus doesn't always really heal the same way. So we hear, see him healing this blind man with spit and mud. But he heals in other ways other times, and it's just kind of this reminder that there's no way, there's no formula for how to heal people. It really is Jesus, and it really is the faith of the people that he's healing. So do you remember I told you guys that um, they would come and they would get water from this pool? It's the Pool of Siloam. And they would come and get water from this pool as part of their ritual. So God makes this mud, puts it on this man who's been blind since he was born, and he tells him to go wash his, his uh, spit mud off of his eyeballs in the, in the pool of Siloam. And then the blind man can see. And he's healed. But this is the interesting thing. As we keep reading in chapter 9, we find out that Jesus actually did this on the Sabbath. Which you know, if you know anything about 
the law of the Old Testament, it was that you were not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. So read really fast, chapter 9, verse 13 through 16. You guys are doing awesome. We're almost done. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. So the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Okay, so Jesus did a miracle, and that's one thing. But these Pharisees were always looking for ways to, like, catch Jesus, catch him doing something wrong, something he wasn't supposed to do, or some way that he's broken the law because they're so stuck on the law from the Old Testament. And they've got to be... They've got to prove that he is not who Jesus says that he is. And so they think that they finally caught him here. He did something on a Sabbath. Not only did he do anything, but there was a specific part of the law that said you can't even knead, which includes making mud, on the Sabbath. And so not only did Jesus do something on the Sabbath and did he heal a man on the Sabbath, but he made mud on the Sabbath, which is kind of a weird thing that they weren't supposed to do, but... It was, it was in the law. But Jesus didn't forget that he was, it was Sabbath. He didn't just like skim over the fact, oh yeah, it's the Sabbath. Like he, there was no forgetting that. Jesus did that very, very intentionally. So um, the thing is, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, they were supposed to do no work. They were supposed to rest. But they would take that and they would... They would make it, remember that word we talked about, legalism? They would make it, the, they would become legalistic about this, where if they did any kind of work, then they were doomed. But that's not how, that's not how faith works. We're not doomed because it doesn't, it's not us doing something plus Jesus equals salvation. That's what legalism is. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. That equals everything. So they beca- became legalistic about simply the Sabbath. And they were allowing the day to control themselves instead of using that day for what it was intended, a day of rest and a day to remember God. And the Pharisees were so stuck on the law that they avoided even acts of mercy and acts of love. And Jesus comes back with, this is what you say in the Old Testament, but I'm telling you, it's just pointing to me. And why on earth would I not show love and not show mercy on a day that was made for me? Are you guys sometimes stuck on the law still? Like We've we've talked about this before, because the law can be something different. It's not just the law of the Sabbath, but it can be come other things and we can become stuck in legalism and sometimes we stop showing love and mercy because we are so stuck on following the law and insisting that other people do so we get so stuck on this is what the bible says we shouldn't do or should do or this is how we should or we shouldn't live we get so focused on trying to be perfect and trying to act perfect that we forget that we just need to show love and mercy to people and that is what's going to change the light exists 
simply because it's the light. We don't have to prove it. We just have to be it. We just have to show Jesus. And that is what's going to change people. We see over and over and over, just in these two chapters, which, guys, there's so much that we missed, but we see over and over and over how Jesus took this Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and he pointed it back to himself. He took tradition and he took rituals that he'd been partaking in and the Jews had been celebrating for a long time, and he pointed to himself. And then when he took this, the man that the Jews claimed to be their father, Abraham, and he said, actually, Abraham, I know him, and he followed me, and he's still pointing to himself. And then he also points to himself by saying, listen, people will always be more important than the law. We can't expect people to change if we're not showing them love. So John just did an amazing job as he was writing this book of showing us how Jesus continually took what the Jews knew to be true and pointed it to himself. So there's so many times, I don't know about you guys, but when I read scripture, I look for myself in scripture. So like we read David and Goliath, I'm like, yes, I am David and I'm slaying that giant. Instead of, oh, actually, I'm... I'm a scared, scared Israelite back here hoping that somebody else is going to kill the giant and that somebody else is Jesus. So oftentimes we look for ourselves in stories and then we look for ourselves to be the heroes or the heroines of the stories and that's just not how the Bible was written to be. The Bible was written to point us to Jesus. It was written so that we can learn more about who God is. So, the question I want to leave with you guys tonight, from everything that we talked about and covered, and it was a lot, that was a mouthful, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm trying to like drink out of a water hose, spraying pretty, pretty hard, and that's kind of what I felt like, again, just covering this much. But everything that we've read about tonight, what did you learn about Jesus? What did you learn about God and his character and who he is? And how is that going to change your relationship with him? That's what we need to look at when we read scripture, when we read the Old Testament and the New. What is this teaching us about Jesus? What is this teaching us about God? And how is that going to change my relationship with him? And do you recognize his love for you a little differently? Do you see more fully how God has been constant and loving and is always there And God is the same in the Old Testament as he is in the New. Do you see how Jesus meets us where we're at to be able to reach us and to show us love? So also in chapter 9 is where we get that, that famous line, I was blind, but now I see. The blind man says that. He says, I was blind, but now I see. And that is kind of the summary of the gospel right there. It's that knowledge of Jesus plus nothing is everything. And when you can get that and you can see that Jesus meets you where you're at, he bridges that gap. He does not, he knows what you're struggling with. He knows your heartaches. He knows what's like bothering you and, and what, what you're dealing with. And that is not going to stop him from loving you. 
and that is not going to stop him from wanting a relationship with you. That's not going to stop him from wanting to reach you. He bridges that gap, and you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together and have it all figured out because guess what? That's never going to happen. You're never going to have it all together. You're never going to have it figured out. So that I was blind, but now I see that is the gospel right there. Where we were blind, we didn't see what Jesus had for us, how much he loved us. But once we accept that, then we can see. Then we can see the light that Jesus talks about. And we're not blind to that anymore. I want to praise you guys. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are so quiet. It's a little eerie. <laughs> All right, let's pray, guys. God, um, God, you were a teenager once. You know the pressures that come with being a teenager. You know the pressures that come with being on the um, edge of having to make some really big life decisions. You know what it is to struggle with friendships. You know what it is to have everybody that you love and you have called friends reject you and deny you. You know that because you experienced that because you were human and you walked here on earth. God, thank you for knowing us. Thank you for knowing our hurts and knowing our struggles and knowing our heartaches. God, thank you for giving us your word so we get this more beautiful glimpse and this beautiful picture of who you are and how you love us. God, would you just speak to us about areas in our life where we're being legalistic and we're thinking that we have to be a certain way or do a certain way in order to get to you? And would you just reveal to us the truth? Let it sink into our hearts. Let it be this balm on our souls. Would you allow it just to soothe the rough edges? And would you just remind us that we do not have to we don't have to do anything except trust you. Thank you for these students. God, would you go before them? Go behind them? Let them feel you surround them throughout their week. Would you continually speak truth to them? And I pray for divine appointments in their life, that there would be people who would just speak truth to them straight from you, and that they would recognize it as truth. Let them not miss the you that is right in front of them, that is performing miracles in their very lives, that is pointing them to you every single day. Thank you for loving us as we are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.